Welcome to K-Drama School. I'm your host, Grace Jung, and class is now in session. today. I'm sorry. This is the second week that I'm not covering a Korean drama. And it's not because I'm not watching Korean dramas. It's not because I ran out of Korean dramas to cover. It's just that I I haven't been feeling well. I was um, I had a cold um, the week before that. I had a bout of depression. Uh, I was also traveling. I was out of town for the Flyover Comedy Festival, and that took the life out of me. But I didn't want to skimp out on an opening monologue for this episode, so I am doing that at the very least, just to just to update you, just to let you know what's going on in my life. And I would like to know what's going on in your life. You can email me or you can leave me a comment. Let me know what shows you're watching. Let me know what your thoughts are. Let me know what shows you would like me to cover. Because I'm always down to listen to that stuff, you guys. I have been very productive, though. I mean, I I made a couple of videos. There are a bunch of new videos on my personal YouTube channel. Just look up Grace Jung, Grace Jung Comedy, and you'll be able to find my YouTube channel site. Or just go to my, my website, hj.com, and you can just find my YouTube site there. And I uploaded a whole bunch of videos. Some of the videos are short films that I made years ago. Uh, other videos are new ones, like recent ones that I made this past few weeks or this past year. And I'm going to be dropping another video on Thanksgiving Day. So you have that to look forward to. So check out some of my content, you guys. Even though I'm not talking about Korean dramas here and right, right now, I am, I am constantly making content and uploading them. So you can follow me there. I was in uh, St. Louis, Missouri last weekend for the Flyover Comedy Fest. And let me tell you something. The Midwest, wow. Wow. You Midwesterners are very repressed. I mean, really, you guys just don't know how to let loose and guffaw. Okay, just let loose and laugh. You guys are very German like that. You, you know, you guys are very much like German audiences, just very like, <laughs> like, just let it let it out. Just laugh, laugh heartily. Let out your laughter. It's an involuntary response. Just let yourselves bask in the mirth that you experience man i mean that's why i was just so off the first night because i was like these are jokes that i've done hundreds of times and they always work they always kill and these people are just like got tepid laughs lukewarm response they don't they look confused they look like they're asking themselves should i even laugh at this like they're looking at one another for permission like it was weird the first night that I was there. Second night, it got a lot looser. It got better. But still, still, the laughter response was just not at the decibel that I am used to for a room of that size. And I was just a little bit weirded out by it. And I have to attribute it to the Midwestern vibe, the repressed vibe, man. But the upside to all of this is I got to meet Steve Lee. Steve Lee is the lead singer of the band Mangchi. He is the host of the Steepy Weepy Show. He is a very talented uh, artist. 
uh he does um he does these like little puppet shows like that he draws and he makes and i i love the story that he does oh and of course steve lee is bobby lee's brother i met steve lee i'm a little bit more on the steve lee vibe because steve is like into aliens he's he's got a lot of heart to him he's a little bit more connected to his emotions whereas i feel like bobby lee is slightly disconnected from his emotions um in any case uh i had a lot of fun connecting with steve lee the reason why steve lee and i connected though like this is what happened i'm staying at the cheshire hotel that's the hotel that the uh the flyover comedy festival people had to deal with. So I'm staying at the Cheshire Hotel and I see Steve Lee in the lobby with all these other white guys. Like he's just surrounded by an orbit of white dudes. And even though I wanted to say hello to him and approach him, I just didn't because I was like, I don't want to have to fight through a bunch of white guys to get to Steve Lee tonight. So I just, I just said, you know what? I'm going to see him again. I know I'm going to see him again. So when I see him again, I'll say hi then. I, went for a long ass walk about an hour and a half walk from the hotel to the venue i just wanted to go for a walk and it was very beautiful i cut through the forest park in st louis and it was very nice and when i got to the venue i just had a little downtime you know just some downtime to myself so i was like sitting around and i saw steve lee like come up the stairs and he was right there in front of me waving and i was like oh hey i know you so I said hello to him and, you know, he and I have a lot of mutual friends because we both live in L.A. We're both Korean Americans. So I was just like, kind of like naming people that he might know. And he was like, yeah, like, yeah, I'm friends with him. I was like, yeah, like he's a buddy of mine. And he was like, oh, you're Korean. I was like, yes. And he was down with that. He was like glad to meet a fellow Korean. And I told him, I was like, man, it's weird here. Like, it's very white and it's weird. And he was like, nah, that can't be. And then anyway, we said hello and then said our goodbyes. And then later, when I was just sitting in the little green room area for the comics, he came up to me. He like sat down next to me with this sense of urgency, like plopped down. And he was like, dude, you I thought you were tripping earlier, but you're right. This place is super out of whack. It's weird. There are no Asians. I was like, yeah, I told you. He's like, my Uber driver called me a Chinaman, was like, oh, like, I've never seen Chinaman like you. Chinaman like you don't speak English the way you do, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, his Uber driver was a black woman, right? So it's very black and white over there. And even the black and white communities are segregated. And just the Asians are just like completely forgotten. We didn't see a single Latinx person when we were there. I didn't see any. Steve didn't see any. It was fucking weird for us. Uh, so we kind of bonded over that, talking about that. Yeah, I, I had a nice time talking to him. I have some sad news to share with you. I don't know if I talked about this at all. I, I think I talked about it on my podcast. I was definitely talking about it in the episode with Helen. Um, and, I'm, and I hope you guys listen to the Helen Park episode because um, she's amazing. Like, she is one of these very, very special people. Yeah, like, I guess I didn't do an opening monologue for her episode, but just to fill you in, Helen and I met in 2009 in Seoul as Fulbright Scholars. She was in the same year as me, uh, but Helen's a bit older than I am. Like, she's like a little over 10 years older than I am, and she is um, immensely gifted and talented, and she's just very much like one of these people, artists through and through very spiritual, you know, like she's just one of these cool ass people that I vibe with and I respect and that I admire. I was so happy that she and I got to connect and talk and encapsulate our talk as a podcast. 
And uh, I hope you guys found some of that talk illuminating. I, I was only sorry that I talked so much on that podcast episode. I wish I had given Helen more space to talk, but um, I really liked the the second half of that episode and a lot of her insights. And I loved her recommendations and I love the the therapy work that she does. And I love the artwork that she does. If you guys just Google Helen Hyun-Gyung Park and just look at the educational work that she's done with video art and stuff with, with students in New York, it's amazing. So just check it out. So I talk about on that episode with Helen how I applied for a job at Stony Brook University and the position was for Korean American studies. And I just felt so deeply... Uh, how do I say, just very aligned with that position. It was like, it was the kind of, it was the kind of coursework that I know I am made for. I know I'm made for that kind of coursework. But back in October, around October 19, October 20, I had these recurring dreams. And the dreams were of me in a car. The car is moving through an urban environment and I'm trying to hit the brakes, but the brakes won't work. But the car is not moving too fast, so I'm not panicking. The car, I swerve it into like a shop. And when I get out of the car and I look at the shop, the shop is just full of these kinds of clothes that I would never, ever wear today. Just It were just clothes that I, ha I have grown out of in terms of style, in terms of taste. It's just not me anymore. And I remember just turning around and walking away from the shop, determined not to buy anything there. And... That's how I feel about New York right now. I mean, of course, if I were given a job in New York City, I would go there in a heartbeat. But the fact is, I feel more at home in Los Angeles than I might in New York at this point. That's just what that's just what's happened. That's just the truth. That's just the reality. And when I was very excitedly uh, applying for this position and vying for this position and doing the interview for this position and journaling about this position, thinking about this position, I always had this nagging little pebble in my shoe that said, a part of me is over in New York. The other dream that I had that's very similar is I was on a hike somewhere in Southern California. It's just got that desert look. And I was on this hike and there was a path that I could turn to, but I didn't go down that path. I was like, you know what? I've been down that path before. I don't need to see it again. So I'm going to go the opposite direction. And as I was walking in the opposite direction, there was this giant cityscape that was like rising up ahead of me as I got closer and closer up the hill. And uh, I don't know what city this was. I, I can't identify it for you, but I just know for sure that it was a city because there were a whole bunch of buildings densely compacted in a collective like that. And it was it was rising up before me in this beautiful way. So I don't know. It could mean it could mean Stony Brook. It could also mean that I am growing out of certain kinds of people. It could mean that I'm growing out of certain kinds of habits there are definitely winds of change that are blowing around in my life at this moment. I had another weird thing happen to me. I mean, I guess I'll share it. It's it's a bit personal, but I guess I'll share it. So I was, uh, I had a migraine last week, early last week. It was very, very bad. I didn't know what to do about it. 
I didn't know where it was coming from either. That was the other issue. Usually when I have a migraine, I kind of have a sense of who is causing it. It's usually a person or a situation. And I, I couldn't pinpoint where it was coming from, right? But I was thinking about an old friend. Is a friend that I, I, I have some distance with at this current moment. Uh, she and I haven't spoken in several months, maybe almost a year. And uh, she's very volatile, very emotional, very unstable. And uh, talking to her can be very toxic sometimes. It brings me down. And I was kind of thinking about her one morning. And that same morning, she texted me and she called me and left me a voicemail. And I checked my messages and uh i was like my migraine was it was this person like she was my migraine so i had to say to my migraine i was like listen i'm not going to respond to her today like i'm not going to talk to her today whatever she whatever she needs i'm not going to deal with it today so don't worry about it and as soon as i said that the migraine went away isn't that crazy that's the thing about migraines, man. Like in my case, it's very psychosomatic. And if I don't figure out who or what is causing it, I will suffer for as many days as it takes. And that migraine that for that week, it went on for about, it went on for uh, six days. It was a six day long migraine. And I, I was taking uh, my vitamins. I was taking my medication. Nothing was working. And as soon as I said to my migraine, I'm not going to deal with this person. Don't you worry about it. We'll just have a nice day today. And it fucking went away. Winds of change, man. They are blowing about. They are fully blowing about. It is crazy. My book project has very drastically evolved into something different. Well, it's the same, but it's different. I just kind of had this eureka moment where I was where I thought I was writing two separate books, but turns out I was writing one book. So I just decided, okay, I'm just going to scoop out everything from one book and put it into the other so that it's just one book. So I'm consolidating, I'm being efficient. And once I came to that eureka moment, it was like very comforting for me. I was like, okay, this is good. This is good. I can move on and be less blocked, right? That's the sad reality, you guys. I am not built to write a cheap ass, shallow, mainstream trade book, even though that was my intention. I wanted to do that with all my heart. I thought I could do it. I thought I was capable. Hey, turns out I'm not. I'm not. I can't do it. I can't do it. Uh, so it's not going to happen. That trade book is no longer going to happen. But the upside to this is, uh, my second novel is full on. My second novel is fully on at this point. It's been, oh gosh, it's been 10 years since I wrote my last novel. Uh, and this is full, fully happening now. So that's exciting. Isn't that exciting? I'm excited for myself. I'm congratulating myself today, you guys celebrate it celebrate celebrate your good ideas celebrate the moments where you come to these eureka moments man it's celebratory it is worthy of celebration it is a good thing today i'm going to talk to fred stoller 
Fred Stoller is a huge actor in Hollywood. He is, man, you've seen him in every single 90s sitcom. If you type in Fred Stoller, you'll see his face and you'll know exactly what TV show and what movies you've seen him in. He was in Dumb and Dumber. He was on Everybody Loves Raymond. He was on Seinfeld. He wrote for Seinfeld. He was on Friends. You guys, he was in everything. He was in some of these Nickelodeon shows with like Miley Cyrus and shit back in the day. You guys, Fred Stoller is the man. He's the man. And Fred's a new friend. He is now a new friend of mine. In fact, Fred and I hung out yesterday. Oh, here's a synchronicity that I could share with you. So I invited Fred to accompany me to an art opening for my friend Tomoaki. Tomoaki is a very, very talented abstract painter who lives in LA. And he had a he had an art opening at this gallery in Beverly Hills. So I asked Fred if he wanted to accompany me. And he said, sure. And he was like, if you come down through Laurel Canyon, then my my house is very close to there. So I drove down Laurel Canyon, which is a very lovely drive. And when I got to the gallery with Fred, Tomo, Tomoaki, the artist friend, he was wearing a t-shirt, a tie-dye t-shirt that said Laurel Canyon. <laughs> and I was like, Tomo, I drove through Laurel Canyon just to come see you today. And he was like, ooh, synchronicity. And I loved that. I loved that Tomo said that. I was like, yes, you're the man. I love Tomoaki, man. Not only is he an amazing painter, but he's also hilarious. <laughs> Tomo's the man. And uh, Fred is the man. Fred uh, took me to this great Mexican restaurant with his friend Lisa. We went to Escuela on Beverly Boulevard, and the tacos were fucking phenomenal. They had this corn there, this corn off the cob that was just buttery and delicious. It was awesome. But the downside is each taco costs $8. You guys, that is a fucking, what? $8 per taco. Are they giant tacos? No, they're not. They're normal sized fucking tacos. Okay. They're very expensive, but is it good? It's very good. I would strongly recommend the Branzino taco. I strongly recommend the shrimp taco. I strongly recommend that you order the corn off the cob when you go to Escuela on Beverly Boulevard. And the the reason why I spoke to Fred on this episode is because I wanted to talk to Fred about his book called Maybe We'll Have You Back. And it's such an excellent memoir. It's all about Hollywood show business being this uh, perennial guest star in the 90s. And he talks about coming up as a stand-up in the, in the 80s in New York and moving to LA in the late 80s and just doing it, just doing his thing. And I, I love this book. I think every comedian and every actor in Hollywood who is working should read this book because what this book teaches you is to never, ever lose your core sense of self. All right? That's what this book encourages. What this book encourages is that Hollywood is going to say so much shit to you that if you don't have a keen sense of self, you're going to get lost. You're going to get in trouble. People are going to take advantage of you. That's what it teaches you. And I think the book is extremely well written. I mean, Fred has been writing this book for a long time. It's got this sort of a rhythm of setup punchline similar to like a comedy act and it reads very smoothly it's funny it's got a lot of heart there's some sad moments but it's just such a good book so if you want to read a nice 
uh, easy, uplifting book, I recommend this book. Maybe we'll have you back by Fred Stoller. So let's talk to my guest, my friend, Fred Stoller. Yeah, I I want to talk about uh, your book for the most part because okay, that's um, when we officially started. Yeah, yeah, we've you officially okay, begun. Sure. I love I love your book. It's okay. Thank you so I, much. It's so well written, and I think you just have like a. I mean, you're a comedian, so you know, of course, you're a good writer. Sorry to interrupt, but a lot. Yeah. Of, and I don't take this personally, but yeah, a lot of people I give it out to. They don't read it. it maybe it really? doesn't grab them. I'm trying to figure this out. Or it no. just, Fred. maybe they got a, there's a resistance. But a lot of people, I, I very briefly dabbled on app dating. And one woman I gave it to said, she would say, is there an order I should read it in? Um, what chapter <laughs> should I read? I, it's the silliest question. But it is a lot of people question. we know just, maybe it just looks not appealing, but no, I no, think it's that's deeper it. than it leads on. I don't know. I think, you know what it is? I, I'm also an author. I'm a published author as well. Yeah. And whenever I give my books out to people, nobody reads them. And exactly. it's because it's because we go and buy books that we really want to read, right? Right. And we, a lot of people don't like to read, you know? If exactly. They're, if they're going to go and read, they're going to read like something. like an assignment. Exactly. There you go. But in my case, you know, like I'm a, I'm a, I'm an academic. I'm also a writer myself and I love reading autobiographies written by, um, you know, comedians and filmmakers that those are my favorite things. I like reading about writers. I like reading about F Scott Fitzgerald in Hollywood. I don't like reading his novels, but I like reading authors yeah i think i'm only going to give it now to someone who asks for it because i would say 80 percent of people friends or people don't read it or they feel it's an (laughs) obligation or it doesn't look it looks it Uh. seems arduous or or annoying or maybe yeah i'm just i'm just um asking you this because this is the first time i've wondered it where it just feels like and then they kind of avoid me and they feel funny <laughs> about it so i'm not going to give it out anymore honestly that could be a, a good bit like how you wrote a book and you're giving it out to people and you know their reactions are just so funny like what order shall i read it in or they avoid yeah. you because they feel pressured they feel... to have read it and yeah, they don't want to yeah. face having it but it's like really you know I when I give my book out, I'm like, I'm just giving it to you because I want to give it to you. There's no pressure for you to read it. It's just even right. if it's just on your shelf, like it's just a gift. And I exactly. just like that. Yeah, yeah. There's no pressure. But I right. I loved your book, and I love what you Thank said you. about how you like reading about writers, but you don't like reading their work. Because I feel similarly about like this year, I I read um, Ingmar Bergman's autobiographies, and. I'm not a fan of Bergman's films. I know he's a great filmmaker, mm-hmm. but I don't like his movies per se. I love the way he writes, though. I really love his mind. Right, I'll check that out. Yeah, I love the way his brain I guess works. I like, uh, one of the things I, I say a lot is, <clears throat> excuse me, I read to relate to not, not to escape. I'm not into mm-hmm. sci-fi, a Lord of mm-hmm. the Rings. Mm-hmm. I guess I felt not validated and invisible yeah. my whole life. So you want, I want to identify, so lonely yeah. writers or the process. Yeah. Yes. So I, you know, for a while I was, I don't like detective books, but I like, 
this one, this a lonely detective, because I, I like to make analogies to my life. Like, sure. I feel like I'm a, a lonely uh, detective. So, yeah. yeah, I like reading about writers, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald. Uh, yeah. Old Hollywood, what ho- uh-huh. what Hollywood was like in the '40s, just to to relate. Sure, and I I noticed that you uh, look for that kind of relatability in almost everything, like even the way you watched movies when you were younger, how you related right. to all the side uh, supporting characters. Yeah, yeah, people don't pick up a lot. Yes, I need to, find, yeah, see myself in things. That's why I don't. I can't get into a movie like. The Bounty or Braveheart. I'm not just picking Mel Gibson <laughs> movies, it sounds like. But yeah, I, I don't, I like to see myself like someone, yeah, uh, isolated or, or just right. like, for example, The Hangover. Mm-hmm. I can fucking relate to it. It didn't make me laugh. I understood why other people in the theater were laughing. Yeah. But I don't have a bunch of dudes. Let's go to Vegas and we're right. bros. And yeah. yeah, so I need to really... Most TV, like I'm friends with someone who's on the show Glee. Yeah. I could not relate to it. I can't relate to this. I know a show with Oscar Isaac about marriage problems. Yeah. So yeah, I like to really see myself in something. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's very specific too. the kinds of characters you remember, like, you know, that character <laughs> from Midnight Cowboy with the whole right. shrimp thing. You, you know, you actually referenced that twice in your book is what I noticed. And I referenced it... Uh, Saturday, uh, just two days ago, my friend had a birthday party, and I wasn't. And it's, it sounds like a curve your enthusiasm bit where you said there was food. I met the meal uh, because <laughs> it was just crackers and stuff. And he said, "All yeah. right, I'll go get you some leftover food." So he brought me leftover, and I felt like Ratso <laughs> again. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. This is Fiona's birthday party. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Fiona, yeah. do you know who she is? Uh, no, but we miss you uh, at tennis. At- that's right. Fiona Duroff, Brad Duroff's daughter, who is one of the stars of One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. But she's oh, a cool yeah. lady in her own I right. I love so, that movie. I mean, that's an amazing movie. He was one the stutterer. Oh, yes. my gosh. I mean, such yes, a... yes. Again, one of the characters that yeah. resonated with me yeah. growing up in the 70s. Yeah. And, you know, I think most people resonate with those kinds of characters. I mean, most people I've known all my life, at least, you know, people who just feel odd. A lot of artists feel this way. They feel like they're, they don't belong to their family. They feel like they don't belong to schools that they go to. See, I, I don't <clears throat> re- resonate with the new freaks and geeks kind of, the brooding kind of animator, kind of goth or whatever, the ones mm-hmm. that do. Um, computers, because at least they have camaraderie. They had each other. I was so isolated. Now yeah. nerds are so cool. You know, they're into that's robots true. and comic books. So yeah, even that's I, been sort of hijacked by Hollywood. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, but um, no, I I understand that as well. And you know that a lot of that stuff is like constructed by this Hollywood imaginary too. Um, yes, the uh, the misfit isn't such a misfit there. I remember I was watching, um, <clears throat> I think, the com- Comedians of Comedy, Pat Oswalt, before he really made it big. Yeah. He was talking about comic books. He goes, yeah, not everyone gets me. I'm, I'm at the comic books. That's the most mainstream thing. Yeah. You're acting like you're such a nice outsider because you're into comic yeah. books. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe also it's kind of like this. And I, I sort of felt this way as I was reading your book a little bit. It's like... There's something incredibly um, 
existential and raw and almost like ugly that we don't want to face this fact of existence, which is that we are alone, right? Mm-hmm. We are born alone and we're going to die alone. That is a mm-hmm. certain fact. But you're somebody who, to I feel like to the core, is very aware of this as a reality. <laughs> and, to, uh, yeah. and, you, and you encounter it moment by moment. And a lot of, many writers do this. Uh, but, but like the way that Hollywood constructs those kinds of misfits, they don't face that reality, that morbid reality at all. Mm, and so um, yeah, and so I think Hollywood needs to create that by removing that sort of morbid uh, encounter and hire hot or sexy people who do diet, who don't eat anything, who get plastic surgery and have a you know have a, a personal trainer, and they put those people there because those are the kinds of people that people want to project and see and right. imagine themselves to be. Well, a lot of people were upset with my book because it hit a note because I don't overcompensate and act like cool or like the cool Largo comedians, you know, Mm. who, yeah, that I'm not overcompensating and it hits a nerve because they see themselves in me and I'm not like this. There's people, now there's a new neurotic people, but they're cool neurotics, hip neurotics, like Mark Marin or Adam Goldberg, <laughs> like they're like, they're neurotic, but they're cool and sexy because they act cool. So or intellectual, nice they're way. intellectuals. Yes, yes, yes. But, you yeah. know, the way I kind of see you, and this I only understand because I've sort of researched like the tenets of clowning. Did you ever like uh, look into clowning at all? Or do you have clown friends at all? No, no. But speaking of that, not to get personal, but with some situations, I'm trying not to, I see maybe why some women aren't attracted to me because <laughs> because I'm too silly and self-deprecating mm. and I'm not going to post those self-deprecating mm. things on social media. It doesn't do me any good. So mm. I'm clowning too much, I think. I'm more yeah. like like putting myself down, like here yeah. I am at this. So yeah. I'm really going to stop that. Like even with the silly videos of putting my face on Justin Bieber <laughs> or Bruce Willis, uh, we get the joke, Fred, you're not like Bruce Willis. You're not. And I think, I think that's so unsexy and I, and I'm kind of angry about it. Not, oh. you know, with you know who, but, but just where I think I've been clowning. I, I really think I've been, yes, you know, I, I've now I've watched some of my old clips on Friends, and, yeah. and I'm never arrogant or cocky. But I realized I I was so much more attractive than I thought I was or acted. I yeah. I really act, and that's the way I am. I wasn't putting on a persona. Yeah. But I think um, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just going to no, try to I, write more stories. But I'm yeah. going to not put on social media. I'm perpetuating this. Schmucky, schmucky, schmucky guy. That's yes, yes. And, you know, I mean, that energy, though, like what you're saying, it is in your book through and through because, yes. you know, the way that your mother would, you know, complain all the time and you would offer help, but the moment you offer help, she would reject your offer and complain nonetheless and guilt trip you and shame you. It's like that. <laughs> you're almost designed to constantly be apologetic 
for mm-hmm, every sure. everything, everything. Absolutely. And you figured out a way to cope with that through stand-up comedy, which is parody, which is self-deprecation as a humor. And, you know, you even extended that to the way that you would resonate with certain supporting characters in movies mm-hmm. not even the lead never the lead never the never, hero ever. always the passive supporting character who's mm-hmm. just there to be like quirky and you know funny and then we move on they're not the center point and you know it's uh, yeah. i don't know if i put it in my book but i this therapist i was seeing in manhattan i was saying i always want to be the three-line guy or who's that because mm. you should have bigger dreams and maybe he's right but I guess I always loved like, who is this guy? Oh, we should see more of him. Where I'd sit up in my seat, yeah. And I guess I got what I wished for. I became sort of that guy that yes. almost invisible. Yes, almost invisible, but wanting some, you know, like I used to be on TikTok Live. I got tired of it, and yeah. a few people. Re- but I realized again, I'm I'm never arrogant, but I think. If when I was growing up, I, I, I realized this from some fans of mine that I would have been a big fan of Fred Stoller, yeah, because he re- would resonate. Like, there's this guy, he's not a star, he doesn't yeah. act like Nick Offerman, like so cool, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that smugness of like the office. I go, I sure. like this guy, so I became what I would have been a fan of in a yeah, even though and it's not a star kind of career, exactly. And that's the great success of it. And you know, the other great success of it is that supporting characters like you know, supporting actors like you, we you're everywhere, you're you're in every sitcom, not so much lately, but more when sitcoms. But one thing but, that hurt me, and yeah, I, again, I, I'm not blaming or anything, yeah. Is, I was from the era of like uh, sitcoms in the '90s, where yeah. every two line part was a. F- well, Jerry, where's the bread? And this it became so real, like The Office, and where, uh, well, well, where the the smugness, where the main guys are funny, but everyone, like I would have auditions yeah. the last few years. Not don't be so character. Don't, don't be more straight. Where yeah, I, don't be so sticky. Yes, where I don't think I'm sticky. I'm that's who I am. But yeah. they want just people that don't stand at that blend in. Exactly. Distraction. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So I don't work as much because that's of that a, and other reasons. That, that there's a, a shift. You know, there was a big shift when they got rid of the whole canned laugh for the live audience studio yeah. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yes, Less but funny. Yeah. But <laughs> but. Every millennial knows who you are, is what I'm saying. Like, all the millennials who grew up watching 90s sitcom have seen you. They've seen you in, in Dumb and Dumber, you know. And I love what you say about how you say, like, I became the person that I would be a fan of as a child. I mean, what? I mean, that's like a huge success. I feel like not Which I didn't realize. That. I didn't realize till I got on TikTok Live that there were, not a lot, but there were people... I love you, you know, I, lo- I love what you do, and you, yeah. you know, so I realized as a kid, I would have, again, I connect with people, yeah, and I would have connect with this guy that I wish he was on more things, and, well, I, I grew up loving, like, uh, black guys in TV shows weren't, like, you know, in the 60s and 70s like it is now, yeah. so whenever you'd see one, go, oh, this is cool, I'd be happy they're working, uh... so as... I'd be happy that this guy would be working because right. he doesn't work a lot. He's not like yeah. everyone else. Yeah. And I'm and, not, yeah. 
and the people like you've had some heroes in your in your career like one person who sticks out is Esther Roll and <laughs> how she said don't let anyone in show business ever determine your self-worth you're wonderful yes. I mean what a beautiful thing to say yes, that was that was and it comes from a woman who understands what it's like to be marginalized in society and in the industry. Yeah, I think we're hitting on something. You're better than any shrink I ever saw. I think I related to black guys because they weren't in most things or hardly yeah, at all. Exactly. And, and I guess I feel like I'm that guy that doesn't fit in so much yeah. to the mold. So mm -hmm. I'd like, I would like when he'd pop up and stuff. Yeah, and even like, yeah. you know, your, uh, I mean, he's no longer with us, but your old friend Vinny, who um, was differently abled, right? He he was agoraphobic right. and possibly um, maybe Asperger's-y, I, I, I yeah, You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, it, we look back and know these terms, it explains right. a lot more of people, yeah. yes. Yeah, he was probably on the spectrum, but, you know, he, he was your buddy like he was the guy that you loved calling and just yes, updating yes. about your life and um you know i i just um i love i love how much heart your book has i guess that's what i'm saying oh, thank you so yeah, much yeah yeah uh but it was also funny like the kinds of well i'll talk about the other hero that i love when joan rivers wanted to call your mom up and give her a talking oh, to you you're in you're into some of these specifics that no one else has picked up on no, no i i, I made a you. list i was like oh this is one oh, category you had another you had another hero when treat williams stepped in and defended you because some um, first ad was snapping at you and wow wait a yeah. minute wait a you minute. were on good advice and no, I eight. remember that. I remember just I yeah. idolized him and and I loved him. And uh, it's so funny. I guess I don't remember that detail. Yeah, like uh, yes, were, yes, yes. You guys course. were talking. Yes. You guys were talking, and uh, yes, because yes. Treat Williams was asking yeah. you questions, and you were just answering. Exactly. Yes. Yes. I exactly. Yeah. But oh my he, you God, know, that was so he, amazing. Isn't that? I was just like, you know, these are. These are moments, they're rare, but they're, there is a pattern. There is a, at least a collective few who have done this for you. And it's because, like, you're a little more withdrawn. You're very introverted. Right. You, you like to keep your head down and you like to, you know, you're also very anxious about getting fired or being called back. Yes, and, yes, you know, yes. you have all these anxieties and there are these people who stand up for you, right? And just kind of... Yes like meet your need so perfectly in that moment. And it's also like su a surprise to you because you're like, oh, this is Hollywood. Like people wouldn't dare, you know, speak up or clap back, but here they are doing it and being a hero to you. And I was just like, oh, this is such a wonderful moment. And I love how you remember it enough to put it in the book too, you know? Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, the part that really stuck out for me also was the time that you were writing for Seinfeld and, um, Larry David, to an extent, was a kind of a coach and hero to you, too, and that he would coach you on how to approach himself. <laughs> <laughs> what a brilliant assessment. Yes, yeah. and then I didn't do it right. <laughs> yes, 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 but yes. You, no, you did. You would take bold risks. Like, you know, when Larry David was like, be more aggressive when you make pitches, and one day you did take him off 
taking but up on that offer. But the pitch was so bad, yes. And he basically said, that's stupid. And then, yes, yes, But yes, then he yes. immediately turned around and apologized and said, well, I did tell you to come yes, and pitch whatever, yes. so I'm sorry, right? Yes. So it wasn't about you, it was about Larry David. There's so many- You know, you're making me realize that yeah. this book maybe has is so subtle and mm. you get a lot of the subtleties that were not intended when I wrote it, but yeah. Mm. Just no, my, just it's recollection. a it's a really great, I think, roadmap. Not even a roadmap, but just yeah, a roadmap. A roadmap of how to not take things so personally in show business because everybody's fucking crazy, and uh -huh. um, to even be careful of people who approach you like a mentor, like a friend, like that guy. Well, there was the Perry, other mentor who I right? ended up getting a restraining order against. Who was it, Perry? I the guy his name. I did mention his name in the book, but he would—he uh, was so—he said the book ruined his life, his career. It was—he's nuts, and I had to get okay. a restraining order because he would bang on my door, leave notes, threaten me. Oh my me. fucking god! So remember that mentor? Um, Perry. was he the? Yeah, Perry on Seinfeld. Seinfeld. Yeah, yes. Yeah, he was such a nightmare, you know, and um. It was crazy what happened after the book. Yes. Yeah, but I mean that doesn't surprise me at all that he did those things because he just seems like uh like a <laughs> narcissistic, you know, bipolar potentially. Yeah, bipolar. Just, yeah, like he just seems like he has a lot of problems and you know, I don't know. Like the one thing that I admire about you though is how um how you always tr handled everything with good graces, you know, even though internally you might be roiling in some kind of anxiety or self-doubt or second guessing, externally you would, you would always be cordial and polite and listen and respond and not be like, like a dick to anybody, you know, you would, you would always maintain uh, a nice cordial and considerate kind of yeah, it's hard. Yeah, social relationship <laughs> to some people that were, and not there were some people after the book that were bullies and really, uh, what do you, yeah, just some well, people. But what hmm. do you gonna, I think Wait, people yeah. think they yeah. could bully me, bully me, or they do bully me because I don't act like you know a Joe Rogan or an Ari Shafir, you know, right, right, and they have their issues and yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so you know. funny how you um, say you're not like these toxic men. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm they're, not saying I'm perfect. They're, they're really toxic kinds of stuff. guys. When you were writing for Seinfeld, you were saying how you had to like dump your journal for story ideas and stuff. Like, mm -hmm. like what was that pressure like dealing with that? And did it ever at times feel like you were selling away your entire life rights to some extent? I didn't look at it that way. I mean, I... Some quote-unquote friends have criticized me in that, you know, I'm going to run out of idea, or that I don't have imagination. Like, why do you always write about yourself or the loser guy? Can't huh. you write a film noir? So some people have made it like, but that's all I do with any kind of situation. Like when I, <clears throat> not for the money, when I was on this animation show, Handy Manny, I had an opportunity to write show episodes. Yeah. But I always, that's why I couldn't write on a show like King of Queens, like where they fight over the covers or the medicine cabinet. Uh -huh. I never had that life. So huh. I, with everything, it's always from what happened to me. Sure. And I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't have that kind of imagination or, yeah.
like when the when there was a younger writer who said that nothing bad ever happened to him so yes. he had to make things up and that amazed you um yes but here's a true another true fact of writers is that writers are the best writers when they write what they know so that's what the cliche is but yeah <clears throat> yes and <clears throat> well it's the same excuse me with actors like when you have that agent's act well, if you're an actor, you should have range or uh, why can't hmm. you not have your accent or uh, yeah. some agent wanted me to audition a few years ago with Fargo and you had to do a Fargo accent. I go, I can't do it. Well, you're an actor. So, so <laughs> yeah. it's, I wish I had more confidence earlier on to embrace I am what I am. And, and yes, it may have limits, but, huh. you know, rather than trying to be an act or a writer who there are some writers and uh, a good friend of mine, great guy, he is, and another friend of mine who writes books, they're more like a reporter where they don't really have their own voice, but they're yeah. very smart out of like studying something and embodying, let's say we want you to write about this, the first gay black guy who was an architect. There was a guy like that, you know, okay. who, something like that. And they'll yeah. get inside his head. I'm not so right. good at that. Yeah, and honestly, the only person who could really write for that is somebody who is gay and black and in architect. But there are people right? that are like reporters that could, you know, they don't really have their persona, their voice. They're trying to get out. I think the difference could... is that a reporter will just report on what they think is important. Right. But a person who has lived that reality is going to write out what they find significant and a reporter is not able to determine what really means the most to that character right um, a person a who's lived point. who's lived that life can do it the best way and i think that's why there's so many debates in hollywood where they say like you know a writer's room should hire more diverse people so that they could present a diversity of stories so um i i actually i i'm more in agreement with the kind of writing style technique that you approach, which is that you write from your experience and what you know. Um, another kind of heartbreaking, seedy Hollywood thing, a pattern I noticed in your book is how many um, women you went on dates with who would uh, try and use you to get access into the industry. Right. <laughs> right. I you mean, know, writing contacts or connections or yeah. <clears throat> or even they, they look me up and, you know, think this or, yeah, yeah, yeah there was the blind date, she already had a boyfriend, but she wanted, thought it could yeah. be good for her writing career. Right, in right. Nonsense. Yeah. I mean, how are you able to kind of gauge that early on? Like, have you been able to figure out a way to gauge that earlier on in the relationship or... Does it still kind of sneak I don't up get on too you? far in relationships. Um, um, huh. Well, yeah, you, it's, you know, makes me untrusting and suspicious. Like, uh, <laughs> there's one woman who uh, I had bumped into and her Facebook friends, and she's trying to come up with a show. And I'm too old, even for myself, to try to come up with ideas. I, I, <laughs> my phrase is, I want to try to create, I don't want to try to sell or pitch. Oh. And, and, and that when someone I know is, has ideas or delusions, it's, it's, it's very tricky. Well, it's tricky enough for me yeah. 
to be in relationships and yeah. stuff alone, but to find someone that's not trying, doesn't have some a little bit of a delusion or trying right. to has some kind of thing. Yeah. But but then again, quote unquote, normal people don't get the lifestyle or the art or stuff. So it's it's always difficult. I understand. But I think yeah, it's always difficult. It'd be difficult anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's true too, you know. I think just in even like people who are not on the screen in their day-to-day lives, they're still opportunists, you know, exactly. working no matter what. So, yeah, it's just it it becomes a little bit more broadened when you're on TV and stuff and people just kind yeah. of come approach you with their own basic assumptions. Uh another another good uh hero that I loved reading about in your book is Kevin James and how he brought you on to King of Queens and then yes. sent you that jacket during the holidays with that yes, note. Yes, yes. I was so like my heart was so warmed when I was reading that part. Again, there are part yeah. the, the people who read my book there are a few things that they bring out they like but you're picking up these little little nuggets that it's very sweet that no one has picked up on is like sweet things. But it's major. Moment. It's really major, you know. None of us, yeah. It's really it meant that jacket meant so much to you that you <laughs> were calling this. Yeah, oh that's right. Girl. That woman another I found I sound like such a a misogynist woman hater, but No, no, you're um, not at all. Yeah, not she, at all. she wanted to keep the jacket. She I had oh my God, you had to I blocked her. out a lot of this. You had to call yes. her a million times, but you know she was willing she to just give it jacket. back to you. She, yeah, yeah, she yeah. Was gonna keep it. Yeah, no, she eventually gave it to you, and um, you wrote that there was I, nothing I, to worry about. I in was the first ha- hounding place. her. Yes. Yeah, uh, and uh, Fran, Fran, <laughs> Fran Drescher um, wrote you a personal note Very as well, thanking you. S- yes, um, yes. Yeah, and. Uh, I loved uh, what Ray Romano wrote in the blurb for the book, which is like, I don't know why Fred never got his own show. Maybe because he's so annoying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people recognize you from Everybody Loves Raymond because, yeah, like you, both of you have that New York accent, you know, it's like a borough accent. Not even, I mean, you're very Brooklyn. I think Ray is Queens, isn't he? <clears throat> He's from Queens, right. Yeah. A lot of same inflections. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> you know, what a show. Like, I loved that show growing up. It was like fucking amazing. And I still kind of watch Friends a lot, you know, um, just for like nostalgic reasons or just for comfort reasons. I kind of return to Friends over yeah. and over again. And whenever I see you on that, it's like, you play that weirdo so well. Like the guy who's just really not even part of this earth. You play that guy so well. And it's just, it's like, a, it's a, a total treat seeing you even oh, deliver such a few you. lines. Yeah. Um, I made some notes about the times you were a hero to yourself as well. Yeah. Like uh, I loved that short um, paragraph when you were writing about how you would call to check your messages back in the day. Right. And the, the technology has changed. We don't yeah. beep in. You're you're young, but um, yeah. yes, before, uh, you know, now I hold this by me and the texting and the emails, but before that, to know if I had something on the horizon, you had yeah. to, um, you know, call in your answering machine messages. And I would just walk around 
yeah. again before uh, cell smartphones um, and uh, and I remember beeping in messages. Oh my God! And it was but, a fourth yeah. ring saying you got a message. Yes. Right, and and you said how you your fantasy would just go everywhere during those three seconds that you would wait for that yes. beep, and. I feel like that kind of uh, fantasizing or daydreaming is heroic work to your inner self and artist. I do think so because you're well, remaining. It's, it's, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me. It's in hindsight. Yeah. I realized like I, I had a, uh, a depression, one of a few, when I tried to get meds a few years ago. And I remember going into the insight meditation clinic uh, and I remember thinking, I just want to be, I'm tired doing what I'm doing now, looking to my phone for the, the hope in that message or that text that's going to save me. Or, and again, we, they've talked about it so much, uh, dopamine rushes and we've been conditioned yeah. to. So it's getting more universal in that the dopamine, where a lot of it doesn't mean anything, Instagram likes, and that's why going mm. all over the place, I'm going to try to really taper, taper, taper down my um, social media, Facebook posting or texting, because it's just, it's not real money and it's not real showbiz. It's just getting validation and dopamine rushes that some girl on Facebook I have a crush on, gave me a like or mm. never, it's not real life. At okay. least when I get a message, maybe there'd be a, a gig. But yeah. yeah, so it's it's that mentality of looking to something other than yourself to uh. validate who you are, the sense mm. of self and Buddhist stuff I'm getting into where yeah. that that's the thing that's probably not healthy where my huh. self-worth would be reliant on that call. I and, see. And now it's yes. that, that like on Instagram, the like yeah. on, yes. For sure. Twitter. Oh, yeah. I think that's really, really important for people to hear. A lot of people in Hollywood um, struggle with that very thing. A lot of actors, especially, because... Well, well again, it's, yeah. well, one of the things <clears throat> why I stopped acting class I wrote is it was this false comfort zone. I was tired of being the funny guy in class, but it wasn't translating to real life. I didn't want to huh. get off on, hey, Fred's funny. I want to work for Fred. I want to be his partner. Uh-huh. It's this masturbatory thing that, and it's the same thing I'm realizing with uh, putting on a silly video on TikTok or this where, or huh. putting on things from the past where I get likes, oh yeah, I remember you on that, where right. it's not real showbiz, it's not real. Huh. So I, huh. I think I want to be creative yeah. with real creative things rather yes. than this validation or this, ah. yeah, I'm doing it. A lot of social media is becoming more to me, I realize, and a lot of people just this sense of we're relevant by getting likes and things, yeah. but it's not really yeah. creative or it's not really what my dream was. Yeah, yeah, no, my, I think. Here's my uh, sidekick. Hi. Hi, Kitty. Chloe. Hi, Chloe. <laughs> oh, she's cute. I love the she's little the white best. patches on her chest. Ta it's... That's why they're called tuxedos. Oh, so cute. The breed is called tuxedo cats because she looks like she's wearing a tuxedo. Oh, that's Chloe. so cute. Hi, Chloe. They're the best. <laughs> well, then, what what is the next thing that 
you want to do. I, I mean, when I last saw you, you said you were writing a lot of stories. Are these short stories? <laughs> or are they essays? Yeah. No, they're sci-fi events. No, I'm just kidding. Same, same stuff. <laughs> okay. Um, short, you know, at first I tried to be like Charles Bukowski and <clears throat> write a long thing with sex, but I was trying too hard uh. to do what I've seen. But, um, <clears throat> God, my throat, I'm clearing. Um, Sorry. Well, I would love to be in stuff if someone wants me, but I'm tired of trying to, like I always tell people, do a one-man show, one show, or, what, or a podcast if you have a Jones to do it, not because you think or you heard this led to this or Mark Marin, this right. led to this for someone else. Right. And I've made that mistake. Yeah. I don't want to do a one-man show. I don't yeah. like theater. I don't like renting a theater. Yeah. So at my later age, it's I, I, I realize, like I said, I want to try to create, not try to sell or pitch. Yeah. Or, yeah. So I want to do what is possible. Yeah. So I'm recording an audio book of my, one of my other Kindle singles. And then I want to do an audio book of like, a lot of stories. And that's not even, I'll put them on Audible or I'll maybe try to have a, a website. But I don't even want to think of trying to make them a book. You know, huh. I just want to do what I can do. You know, uh, and that's actually one. And of I'm the... not like you. I'm not a filmmaker. Yeah, I don't know how to do that. I have no. Yeah, <clears throat> I don't even know what the red camera is, or I don't know <laughs> shots. So I, I, I just want to. Yeah, I think you got to do, and I'd love to pop up and stuff, but I realize that's if someone wants me. You know, I would love for to sure. Do it, but I'm not interested in auditioning for anything yeah, yeah. i mean you've you've really earned that i mean you've been in show business for decades you know and um i and i love what you're saying it's so important like nowadays with social media especially things like tiktok you have these co so quote unquote social media stars or quote unquote influencers who get one video that goes viral and then they suddenly get a deal in hollywood or they get an agent right right and when it comes to actually really having the chops for show business, they end up not having it because that... <laughs> well, not only that, but like I yeah. said, and they used to have Vine, if you're good at doing Vines and it's, that's your love and passion, right. do it. But my, my concern is like I uh, had dinner with a really good guy, a friend, yeah, um, and he's not doing so great. Um, and he's trying to figure out algorithms and oh. and putting things out in the right time and the right to put them out the right length, right. and and it's kind of disheartening because he's hoping if he figures out the right algorithm, it could lead to this, but it's not really any love of it. You, when you're trying to figure out the business, you know, there's screenwriters that tell you. <clears throat> When you try to figure out this is what they're looking for, by by the time you do it, they're looking for something else. Or when you're trying to do either TikToks or Vine or or write a screenplay because you think this is what they're looking for, this works. It doesn't work. You sure. know what I mean? So yeah. so so yes. Yeah, so there's one way they don't have the chops, but there's the other aspect. When my friend is trying to do TikTok and all these things. Because he heard someone made uh -huh. money from it that right. way, or that'll lead right. to something. Yes. When he's just trying to figure, like uh, when I had Fred and Vinny in film festivals. Yeah. Some very prestigious ones too, like Telluride. <clears throat> I mean, that's huge. No, 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 yeah. no. It was uh, 
it was um, slam dance. Slam dance. Yeah, yeah, that's still a very big one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this guy and I, I had a problem with my friend mm. who wanted to hire someone to figure out how and the best way to submit them to film festivals when people cre create jobs that don't exist or experts when there's no way to like, oh, if you submit in the third week on the this, that, it's just <laughs> bullshit. When people are, are self-anointed experts say, I'm going to yeah. tell you when you put something on TikTok and how yeah. long it should be and what the titles are. And yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what I'm talking against. I understand. I I like that a lot. And you know what? What I'm reading more and more uh, in a lot of these like self help books, uh, especially about artistic creativity and like a spiritual uh, existence. With that, they always say the same thing. They say, "Do what's in your reach and what is manageable and what makes you happy." Those are the three ingredients to <coughs> right to not to not, not burn out to not burn out. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I've so, been in some other situations where, yeah. like, I've been in with someone who has an in with podcasting. Yeah. And I was killing myself to come up with a podcast when I'm not like a Bill Burr or an interviewer that could do it week huh. after week after week. Yeah. Or, and it, I never, it's not my dream to be a, a podcaster. Huh. Um, but I was forcing it. And then this podcast studio had access to a green screen and go, we want green screen content, little bits. And wow. I drove myself fucking crazy trying to come up with little green screen segments when it's not my passion. It's not my dream. Yeah. So sometimes some of us like me fall victim to like, we like, this is a farce. It's silly. I, I thought I had an end to a guy that does ski movies and yeah. I wrote a ski movie, but I don't know anything about ski movies. So sometimes that's a thing where we fall victim to where, well, some people can adapt to anything, but I'm not the guy like, yes, I know someone who, who could do comedy parodies videos. Yeah. I'm making that up, but right, and then right. I'm trying to come up with comedy parody. So yes, do what's in reach. And what's do in what's, reach for me is doing yeah. audible kind of stories. Yeah. And people love your voice. They do. Like, you know, that's why you're getting a lot of voice uh, voice acting auditions and gigs. And I know you did that um, Octopus uh, Children's Show. Oh, that um, was a long time ago. Yeah, Oswald. Uh, but, you know, like, you have a, a distinct voice that people recognize and remember. And I well, think it's the same thing. People want me if they want me. I don't fit into puzzles. A New York yes. kind of Jewish accent. Yeah. So, which is a good thing. They and want to, me. They, yeah. Yeah. And to have that attitude, I'm going to go where I'm wanted, that is yes. also enormous. That's something a lot of actors it took don't me a realize. a long time to come to it, yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the way I feel about uh, women, where I, I briefly got on the dating apps. Yeah. And it's like, I want a man who makes a margarita, or you see what <laughs> I Someone has to want me because they want me, not because they're scrolling through apps. They want yes. they have this vision of a guy that you know, uh, can make a drink or is go goes on a hike or, you know, whatever. Yeah. They All the women, not all, but picture them with a horse or just as me jumping out of a plane, <laughs> this is me on the beach. And they think that's what a relationship should be. Yeah. So I, I it was like doing commercials for myself. So I deleted yes. all for the stupid apps because I'd yeah. like to be with someone, but not for the sake of it or just exactly. go shopping. Yes. Um, my uh, friend, she's a very funny comedian, Crystal Adams. She said 
she said something that really was a marvelous thing. She said, I got married to the person I wanted to marry. A lot of the right. times people say, I want to be married. And so <coughs> that's, that's, that's right. not the right starting point. You, you want to marry a specific kind of person, the one that you met, the one that's in front of you. Oh, this, and you're a tech person, huh? No, no, I I'm not a tech person. Oh, okay, because something may be wrong with my battery. I have to move because oh. it just it just goes just low, plug it in low, like in a minute, and it's a new computer. So maybe I'll... oh, it's a new computer. All right, now I'm sitting here. Okay, good. Yeah. That's totally fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that's the way I felt. It took me a while to feel out about showbiz. Like when I was younger, we'd look at the breakdowns. Why aren't I getting pilot auditions? And, uh -huh. and I want again. I want someone who wants me has me in mind either. A yeah. friend, a woman, or showbiz. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I think that's the best attitude to have, and um, I also uh, I was laughing really hard. I was reading the last couple of chapters of your book when I was at Starbucks in Studio City, and um, I was laughing really hysterically when you wrote about the time you did a comedy show on a cruise, and there was a couple pointing at you, talking about how you were eating by yourself and how sad you looked. Right, and right. I was dying laughing. I was just dying because I'm like, what? it's not their fucking business, first of all, you know, to <laughs> And then all of a sudden, all these people, they were all kind of crowding around you and like making this observation. And then you eventually had kids knocking on your door saying that you sucked. I was, I was like hysterically oh laughing. I thought it was so funny. Um, and, and the thing is, the other reason why your book is so fun and engaging to read is because you write the book like you would write a joke. I mean, a lot of them have setups and punchlines. Like, that's how you you have this sort of rhythmic way of writing. Thank you. Know? You know, I, I tell people <coughs> who ask advice about screenwriting or, or any kind of writing, you know, I don't do stand-up anymore. You can't dabble. But what, what helps with stand-up is you get an innate sense of rhythm, yeah. which you need in almost any kind of writing, yeah. just naturally. And, you know, so, yeah. But, you know, because, like, well, you'll be watching a movie, right? Uh -huh. and, and don't you get a sense, oh, they're having fun. Something bad's going to happen. Yep. So when I, feel I it. people ask advice about writing, you just, you just, yeah. So it helps stand up with, you get a rhythm and mm -hmm. you, and you know, and you, you, you feel it, you should feel it when you're writing, like, all right, now something has to have, you know, yeah. Pacing. That kind of, that kind of rhythmic uh, understanding and intuition is important in any kind of artistic pursuit. You have That's it in I music, mean, yeah. you have it in music. You also exactly. have it in editing in film editing, you know, um, that's very important. Uh, uh, yeah. So, yeah, getting in touch with that vibrational essence. Yeah, I mean that's yes. sort of key. That's really key. Cool. Jackie Monahan knows a lot about that stuff. The whole vibrations and all of that. Oh, she yeah, she yeah. and I read similar books around that. Um, uh, another really hilarious but heartbreaking. It was heartbreakingly hilarious. Is uh, the time that you had to do a voiceover audition for a typecast oh, yeah. written for Fred Stoller, and you didn't land. A Fred Stoller it. type, and I didn't get it. <laughs> You know, it's happened a few more times, but I guess I realize it means they want someone like me, but not me. Yes. It's, or it's too obvious. Yes. Yes. Oh. That's, oh I've realized that's happened to a, a lot of actors. Yes. Oh, of course. It's more common. Of course. Yeah, than you would think. 
Because again, it's their perception of who and what you are, not who you actually are. Well, yeah, when you say that, that's interesting because uh, years ago, I would get a lot of auditions, voiceover, where they want a Ben Stein type. And I'm nothing like Ben Stein, but I guess because yeah. I'm a little low key. Yeah. You know, he's a high. You know, you know who Ben Stein is, obviously? No. no. He, he uh, well. He was the Ferris Bueller guy. Bueller, oh. Bueller, okay. why do you talk like that? Or they'd yeah. ask for a Stephen Wright type. Yeah. And Stephen Wright and I are low key, but I like it's Stephen not Wright. the same thing. Very Hi, different. At, at, at Arco, we love when you do this. And, yeah. you know, and whenever you have a Chilean, you know, yeah. And it's, yeah, so that's an interesting thing to say, a concept of what they think I am, but it's, and they bring me in, but it's not that, yeah. And and this also happens a lot in show business. They bring somebody in for a role and you audition, but they realize I, they don't want that thing, they want you. Like that also happens a lot. So they sort of change things based on who they find. That's also happened right. quite a bit. Um, whatever happened to the gate show? <clears throat> you know, uh, it was fun. And I actually, speaking of TikTok, I edited them to one minute bits and people love them, but, uh, it, you know, you, you know, if someone had the juice to, you know, one of the things I learned from that, that, and from books where you need blurbs or again, when I would try to pitch things more, yeah, it's always, who can you get? Um. And I think I got to a point where I said, I don't want to do things contingent on who I would bug. Yes. You know, it's kind of funny. Even with, when I would do a Twitter, like, can you tweet this? Some people, I don't want to be like Fred, the late, great Fred Willard. Huh. He did so many favors for me, Fred and Vinny, The Gate Show. Um, yeah. Another thing, I, I, I want to do what I can do, not try to, you know, bug celebrity friends like Drew Carey or whoever or Jimmy O. Yang. I don't and want to meet it to, all like, their requirements. Their little not just that that that, but just it contingent on we like you, but who's more famous than you? Right, who can do right, this. right, right. Yes, I I totally I, I love that. That's that's in sync with everything else you're saying. Like I want to be where people want me. Uh, I don't want to I don't want to try too hard on something that I don't have any passion or love for. I mean. When I was reading about the Gates show, I was like just reading about how you were like begging, begging Bob Saget to do this. But Bob Saget had all these issues around what kind of car he was going right. to drive. And then Sarah Silverman also had all these issues. And there were all these like negotiations and like backbreaking and this and that. But I was just like, I love the I had concept. I love the concept yeah, of the well, Gates show. Interrupt. I, yeah. I had something similar where this guy wanted me to be an independent movie, but he goes, who are some friends you could get? And again, I felt victim uh, to that where yeah. if you want me, you want me, not yeah. because I can get some other people, but yeah. I thank you. I think it's a good idea, but I'm, it's there, but I, again, it's sort of like I'm not in the world of pitching or right. like, you know, if someone, you know, like I'll give you an example. I'm friendly with Justin Roiland. Do you know who he is, right? From Rick and Morty, he created oh, Rick yeah. and Morty, and it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if he liked the idea, but he's too busy. But if I knew someone that had the power to bring it in a room, right, and they could be the one, 
this is my cliche of stuff. I don't want to do all the heavy lifting. Yeah. Stuff. Of yeah. course. So Why should you? I have yeah. the idea, but yeah, it's a good idea, but I don't really know. Um, do you have any uh, recurring dreams that you remember? Oh, fuck. I have a few. <laughs> well, one of them, one of them is um, that I'm on the road doing uh-huh. stand up again. Yeah. I hated it when I had a headline or even just be on the road. There's <laughs> Tuesday through Sundays. And it's not, and it, it took me many years to realize why don't I love this? Am I lazy? Am I so a loser? My uh-huh. heart was never in it. I never, and I'm going to the whole stand up spiel, but I never grew up as a comedy nerd. <laughs> I did it, <laughs> excuse me, because um, I didn't know how to break into being a character actor. And I heard. Right. You do your act at the improv, you go on the Tonight Show, then you're on a sitcom. Yeah. And I um, I have this dream that I'm away from my cats. I'm, I, ne- I hate it stand-up where you have to get them, what's your opening, and where I want to go home. Why did I agree to be on this week of work? I, I don't want to do this again. Yeah. And, and I just want to fucking go home. Yeah. I have recurring dreams that, I still live with my mother or huh. I, I, but many of them is maybe I'm agoraphobe. I don't know if it's that, but I'm, I'm away. Someone, I don't know if someone I had remembered feeding my cats oh. and I, and I, I'm like in some Arizona or Tempe oh. and, and, and I, and I, I just want to go home. I never mm. loved stand up. I never loved it. And Jackie, our mutual friend, yeah. Never got, oh, come on, you're funny. Let's let's do it. Why did you want to do open mics? <laughs> I, I I never, under some people, Yeah. I don't get that. I this, It's no appeal to me, everything yeah. about it, everything. Yeah. So I have nightmares. I'm back on the road out that's, of town. That's interesting. That, that, um, or, yeah. this is pretty hacky, the cliche. Uh-huh. Uh, I have another recurring dream where I'm on a sitcom. We're uh-huh. doing a network run through, which I took yeah. about my book. Yeah. And I can't find the script. I never looked ah. at the script. And the ADs don't have copies of it. And I needed my hands. Right. I had one the other day, the other night or morning, where I said, okay, I'm just going to bomb. Fuck it. I don't need it. And another recurring nightmare I have is we talked about my Seinfeld year uh, writing on that. And, and trying to come up with ideas, and I was striking out. Yeah. And I'm back on staff at Seinfeld, and I'm not coming up with ideas, and all the Harvard uh, writers are good at it. So I have a yeah. lot of recurring dreams. Yeah. You know, I heard the same thing about SNL, that people who wrote on SNL still have dreams about it, even like a decade after, because it was uh, such yeah. high pressure. Um, that's that's really interesting. But, you know, the I think the, the through line through all of it is that you want to return to home, which is the place where you're yeah. comfortable, you could be the most yourself, and you're with you're your with your cats. So, um, and you know what? Like you, you end up doing that anyway, always with it throughout your book as something. You I know, when I take you- an edible, when it's working well, yeah, I have this um, in, in enlightenment that insight. Yeah. There are a lot of things my mother put me down for that I've never yeah. been married. I'm always alone. I don't work yeah. all the time, whatever. When it when I'm really clicking with an edible, I realize what I've always judged myself or my mother's judged me about, maybe what, this is all I really want. Maybe I really want to just 
be by myself and yeah, and just nap when I want. And yes, maybe what I always thought I was a loser about yeah, and judge myself is really what we want. Yeah, I mean, is what what we think is so bad is what we want. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so uh, to have peace and freedom, and yeah, be- or, or not just that, but yeah, you know, Alan Watts, who you should look into. Okay. He's amazing. I'm fucking amazing. Listen to his YouTube stuff. He's fucking amazing. Um, okay. He says, he said that I'm stealing it actually from him. He's, he goes, what we're having is what we, is real. If we could, if you could sit and design what I want for Grace Jung, what I want for uh-huh. Fritz Stoller, it's probably what we have right now. Yeah. If we could really say, this is what I want, and let me write the script, is what we're having. And we yes. don't realize that. That's the absolute you know, truth. We think we're yeah. miserable. We think we want this or that. But I probably, you know, even though, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. let's say I've had the frustrations, I've never been a series regular. Mm. I've never, I probably want what it's been and I don't realize it. You know, yeah. I pro- if I was like seven years on Third Rock from the Sun, yeah, I'd have a lot of money, a nice house. But I, Every day coming in with the same craft service guy, hey, and the, and yeah. the script. And, you know, I, I probably think I want that, but probably I probably want to, to have different adventures, to have different pop-up rather than if I was a multimillionaire from, yeah. like I said, seven years of, you know, whatever, yeah. Third Rock yeah. in the Sun. Yeah. I'd, maybe I think I really like having the this guy that peaks people pops into things yeah a lot of little things than the one thing so so yeah. really i beg you to look up on youtube listen to alan watch talk i will and then you'll get read his books i i think uh yes thanks for that it's, recommendation please, it's always about yes. uh it's always about perception and exactly I think, I think that's why meditation and the whole mindfulness practice is so valuable um it's really being present because the more you think about the future and what you're lacking in this present moment and what you want in the future the more you do that the more miserable you become but the more you absolutely pay attention to what what you have in this present moment which is that you have the miracle of being alive that you're able to see with your eyes talk with your mouth walk around on your two legs that you have your health and that you are you are in a safe space which is your home and that you have a home and that you can go to your fridge and get whatever you want to eat like all those things are happiness their satisfaction yeah and it's and it's like um it's a made up construct of pilot season or this or yes that yeah so it's yeah yeah you are I, you are just um you are you should you know uh be a sh- well not a shrink but you are you you, you got it <laughs> yeah so very brilliant i uh, very i do that on this insights. podcast a lot thank you i appreciate that i think um i think yeah having a, a phd helps i think uh reading a lot of books on on mindfulness and on self-help helps i think having my own yeah. therapist helps. there's a one uh, paul gilbert wrote a great thing about compassion okay. paul gilbert paul gilbert i'll send you the link yes okay paul gilbert i'll write it about down. he's he wrote the book on compassion and mindfulness oh. um so yeah that, that that amazed me yes so Hmm. I uh yeah it's just um sometimes I go I go back to the other 
old mind sometimes. And I got one of one of my mindfulness things. They said, when your mind goes there, go, thank you. Not now. Went to, oh, you know, that. Yeah. But, or yeah, have you studied evolutionary biology? <laughs> no. that, that has a lot of this. No, it has a lot where it constructed to, yeah. you know, because of to get the genes in the next generation. Yeah. Like uh, our minds are designed for not what it is anymore, being like the caveman fighting. Everyone's a threat. Yes. I want my status. Right. You know, uh-huh. my, mo- you know, my food, my right. Again, right. the status, the, uh, uh-huh. you know, this guy, I got to show I'm the best, I'm the threat, because sure. everyone is a threat and everything uh-huh. is fighting for food. Right. A- and our minds are designed not for um, what the world is now, but like right. to uh, not feel satisfied, to get the sure. genes in sure. the next generation, like yes. to, to want the next sexual thing, the next food, the next, and not be satisfied. Yeah. We're not designed that way and we got to evolve because we're designed to just want to keep putting sperm out there, just kind of procreating and and just keep wanting to do that. But so evolutionary biology fits into the whole mindfulness. So I'll send you some links for some books. Thanks. Appreciate that. that. Yeah. No, um, when I, when I read about these guys like Joe Rogan taking testosterone and, you know, um, it's like, okay, like I get it, but it's like, we're not really physically living in that kind of culture of threat all the time there, but there are, but there are societies that continue to live with that. Like Syria, for instance, they're in a place of war, you know, any country that has a place of tribalism. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Tribalism. Yeah. But you know, it's like, we live in fucking LA, you know, (laughs) Like it is just we we can we can tell our brains that we're safe a lot more and not overreact with defensiveness or anger at the sight of the slightest uh, inconvenience, which is um, well, that's why, like he was saying with road rage, it's like, you know, it we're designed for that for our many thousands of years ago ancestors, everyone's a threat, but yeah, it's. Yeah. I'm going to send you, email you some links when we stop this. Thanks. The books that I that I love read over and over. Yeah. Um, do you uh, have anything you want to plug or? Well, I'm going to be putting out the audio for um, Five Minutes to Kill. Um, just if they want to read the book you're talking about or. Um, yeah, you know, uh, maybe we'll have you, you back. Know, my Seinfeld year, it's a Kindle single. Mm-hmm. Just look me up on Amazon. There those little things. Thank you, Fred. Thank you. you. You are amazing. And I will send you some links and uh, we'll be in touch.